What's up, everybody? I am your host, Monte, and you are now listening to Failing Forward. Failing Forward is a mindset coaching podcast that seeks to promote the idea of delayed gratification. Through intentional conversations, it is hoped that listeners will become enlightened to the mentality and approach of the most successful, where direction is more important than speed and process outweighs results. As a community, we will make the commitment to always move forward, regardless of any perceived failure or setback, because here, We believe that true success happens in our minds first. Together, we'll learn to let go of our attachment to the outcomes and embrace finding contentment within a journey. Thank you for your support. up everybody you are now listening to another episode of my podcast failing forward first and foremost i just want to take a moment to express my love and gratitude for the people that have supported the brand this far shout out to all of the people that have sent me texts left comments or even reshared my work online i am very much appreciative you know as a creative one of our biggest concerns is always how our visions are going to be perceived by the world We're always thinking about, are people going to understand this? Are they going to gravitate to it? Are they going to judge me because of these views? Or even just appreciate what it is that I'm contributing to the world. But one thing that I know is that my support system always comes with the love and energy that I need to press forward. So I really just wanted to take that moment to express my gratitude to start this episode off. But today, before we get into the fun stuff where I start to bring in special guests and we cover a variety of different topics, I would be remiss if we didn't get into the real stuff because... One thing that you all will learn about me over time is that in everything I do, I try my best to lead with intention, empathy, and genuine authenticity. So if I'm going to form a real community through this podcast and inspire you all to fail forward in your own lives, I have to tell y'all a little bit about who I am, where I've been, and ultimately how I became the man that you all see today. In telling you all these stories and specific triumphs in my life, it's not an effort to glorify my wrongdoings and shortcomings. It's more about the lessons that were gathered from these events and ultimately how I use these experiences to become a better man. To facilitate this conversation, I plan on taking y'all through a little bit of my upbringing and some of my most memorable childhood experiences. In doing that, I want to preface this episode by saying that if I reference somebody who was a part of an event from my past, it's not an effort to make anybody look bad. It's more so because I'm just a very transparent person and I'm a natural storyteller. I love telling stories to convey my ideas because that's always how I've best receive and process information. So if a particular moment comes up that you were a part of, please forgive me if you didn't want to be mentioned and I'll be sure to apologize after the episode. But anyways, for the purpose of this conversation, I want to focus on three specific moments in my life that ultimately changed me as a person, but also altered the trajectory of my future. This will probably be a two-part episode depending on the length of time, so I hope you all enjoy getting to know me better and listening to part one of my story. So the first moment that I would like to highlight is when I was kicked out of school in the sixth grade. And I want to highlight this moment specifically because at the time, this was probably my biggest failure in life, but also one of my most embarrassing experiences. It was so embarrassing because of the people around the situation, but also because I was only at the school for one year prior to getting kicked out. And I know y'all are probably listening like, damn, Tay, what did you do? And I'll explain that shortly. I just want y'all to know that this one thing altered my entire path and I think it really changed a lot for me regarding my future. But first off, as I said previously, I grew up in Southwest Philly. And for my listeners who don't know anything about Philly or what it's like growing up in the inner city, let's just say that 
Sometimes these places aren't the best environments to grow up in or raise a family in. My neighborhood was no different than any other low-income area across America. There was lots of community violence, drug infestation, food deserts, outdated and poorly resourced facilities, overpopulated and underperforming schools, but nonetheless, a lot of talent. To combat all of those things, my grandmother did what most traditional black parents would do to give their child a fair shot in this country. She sheltered me by keeping me involved in the church and as many programs as possible, and when we weren't at church, I was busy at school or with chores around the house. My grandmother would often wake me up early on the weekends to shine wood, sweep the floors, vacuum, and even help her outside in the garden. It was tough. And to give this conversation further context, I was raised in a West African household by my grandmother and my three aunts. So not only was there a generational gap in age between me and my grandma, there was also a cultural gap in experience and understanding with me being an American-born citizen. My grandmother immigrated to the United States alone as a teenager, so everything that she got in life, she earned it through hard work, and in some cases she was even taken advantage of on her journey of becoming and solidifying herself here. My grandmother had dreams just like anybody else, but when you have multiple generations of children to account for, and family members who are looking at you as a system of support, it can become easy for your dreams to fall to the wayside. With that being said, my grandmother sacrificed herself endlessly to make sure that everybody around her had a fair opportunity. At the time, there was just so much about her and the way that she raised us that I just didn't understand. But as I've grown and matured, I now understand the impacts of generational trauma, but also that she was trying her best as a black woman seeking to raise an intelligent and productive young black man. And I appreciate her for that. Before I go any further in the conversation, I just want to take a moment of silence to honor my grandmother's contributions and her legacy. Rest in peace. Because of how my family structure was set up, I didn't ever really have a consistent male figure in my life throughout my childhood. Everything that I knew about what it meant to be a man was learned from the TV, school, or from the guys in my neighborhood. So when that's the case, you're probably going to get things wrong a lot of times before you get them right. I didn't have a clue why my family structure looked the way it did. I always wondered where my mom was or where my dad went and why they never showed up on big days or even called to check in. And what hurts the most about that is my parents aren't deceased, contrary to what some people may think. They just weren't involved for reasons of their own. And when that happens to a young person, as you grow up, you really struggle with knowing your worth, building your self-esteem, but most importantly, finding your place out in the world. A lot of times, people who have experienced something of this nature as children go on to become lost adults, and they often end up in situations that could cause harm to themselves or someone else because they're looking for love and validation in all of the wrong places. If you take a look at our communities and into the backgrounds of these young people who are quote-unquote acting out and flat-out destroying everything around them, it probably wouldn't be a stretch to say that many of them are processing trauma, pain, and loss in the best ways that they know how. That aggression, lack of empathy, and consideration for another life that you see on the surface is more than likely a defense mechanism and a cry out for help. These defenses are tools that they've used for survival to maneuver a harsh environment. A lot of these young people, and for a lot of this conversation I'm going to focus on the young black men, they are trying to compensate for internal voids and wounds from within. But when you grow up hearing things like, Suck it up. Boys don't cry. You gotta be tough. Man up. What do you think will happen eventually? One day you're gonna explode. So by this point in the story, you're probably wondering if you haven't already pieced things together. How does this all relate to you getting kicked out of school, Tay? Well, just keep listening. Where I'm from, depending on where you go to school, this could say a lot about who you are as a person, what kind of family you come from, but also what kinds of situations you might find yourself in on your daily commute to and from school. Luckily, 
Both my preschool and elementary school happened to be right around the corner from my house. This was good because it was like quick access for my folks to bring me to and from school, but also for me to walk alone once I got old enough. For the most part, I thoroughly enjoyed my elementary school experience and believe it or not, many of the friends I have today and many of my best childhood experiences came from my elementary school. I just remember running through the halls, getting hugs and kisses from teachers and staff members, free breakfast and lunch programs, playing wall ball, rumble fumble, racing, tag, cops and robbers, capture the flag. And man, I swear that some of the kids I played with in the yard were some of the best athletes I saw in my life to this day. There's so much raw talent in the hood. And as I reflect on this whole experience, what I find to be so wild is that we were doing all of these things on concrete surrounded by metal gates, meaning we were going home with scratches, bruises, and blood on our uniforms each day. When we got home, it looked like we were returning from a war. I definitely lived at the nurse's office, but that yard was our version of the Olympics. But anyways... School was always like my personal outlet because my home environment was so strict and it brought me a lot of stress that when I would go to school, I literally felt like this was my playground. It was my time to shine and do all of the things that I couldn't do at home. So I wouldn't say that I was ever one of the worst behaved kids because it's levels, right? But I will say I was about one tier below all of the super bad kids. And I'm saying bad for a lack of better terms, y'all. I hate to call people good and bad, but for the sake of this conversation, that's the word that I'm going to use. At that time, I had a lot of anger issues and I don't believe I was ever effectively taught how to manage my emotions because in a lot of black households, kids aren't even allowed to have feelings and emotions, especially when you grow up in poverty. Your parents will tell you things like, you don't have a reason to cry, you don't have a reason to be sad or even tired because you don't work, pay any bills, or in their eyes, do anything substantial to contribute to the well-being of the family. Your sole obligation to them is to stay in a child's place and to do as told. So at this time, whenever I got upset, I would just blow up like a ticking time bomb, man. The worst thing about it was that I also talked a lot, which got me in trouble the most. I would often say these things that had crazy shock value and people would look at me like I was crazy. But looking back, I know now that that was more of me attention seeking than me actually wanting to cause harm or hurt somebody else's feelings. In the midst of this, I always had this special charm about myself that I would use to get out of situations. If you've ever been around toddlers and elementary age children, you would know that they are more socially inclined than we give them credit for. And the best of them know how to manipulate situations into their favor. And I was definitely one of those kids at school. So I would always get in trouble almost every day. But it was always one or two staff members that would just go to bat for me because underneath the surface, they knew that I was a good kid. And looking back, they probably knew something about me that I didn't even know about myself. So from a young age, I learned that my mouth was my greatest gift but it could also be my greatest curse. So when I was in about fifth grade, my grandmother made a huge decision. With the help of my pastor, my grandmother took me out of my public elementary school and sent me to a charter school downtown. My pastor was a longtime board member of that school, so a lot of kids from my church, including his own kids, went there. And by the grace of God, he was able to help us all get in there. It's clutch, right? This school was truly another world for me. I went from wearing a yellow shirt blue pants and any color sneakers I wanted to wearing a tie, a blazer, a collared shirt, and Stacey Adams. Not to mention, this school was already like 30-45 minutes away from where I lived, and because it was in a city, it didn't have a yard for kids to go out and play in. So when I got there, it was evidently clear that I didn't have the same foundation as the other kids. Not that I wasn't as intelligent, it was more a thing of culture and knowing how to adapt to a system, which I never truly did during my time there. The school that I'm referring to is called Math, Civics, and Sciences. MCS is a K-12 charter school, so many of the students that went there have been going there their entire lives, and when my grandmom sent me there, 
I don't know if she truly knew the extent of my behavior and how it would translate over to the school. Because at home and at church, I was one person. And then at school, I was somebody completely different. And I don't think my grandmother knew about school, Monte. <laughs> the things that I used to get away with at my old school, they just didn't fly here. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to take wind of that fast enough. My grandmother put me in this school because she didn't want me to have to go to my neighborhood school, Pepper. Pepper is a school that's now shut down due to budget cuts and underperformance year to year. It was widely known throughout my community that the kids that went to Pepper were considered the bottom of the barrel for reasons way beyond our control, and I believe that's a conversation for another episode. Anyways, I got kicked out of MCS for what I would like to refer to as a series of petty infractions and mistakes that could have been corrected over time. This was the first time that I came in contact with the phrase zero tolerance, and looking back, I probably had no business doing some of the things that I was doing, but did I need to be kicked out only after a year? Probably not, but... It is what it is, and how my life went after that is almost like a reflection of society in a way if you really think about it. Here you have a young black kid who was separated from his parents at a young age and because of that experienced a great deal of trauma. Not that I was harmed or abused throughout this process, but I wasn't even at a stage in my development where I could understand all of the things that were happening around me. Any child that is separated from their birth parents before the age of five will experience a significant amount of loss. And this loss will follow you throughout your life and it'll creep over into your relationships and everything that you do if you don't get the proper help. But I was thrown into this new environment that prided itself on zero tolerance and I was expected to show up as my best self. This new environment was said to be a special opportunity for me. An opportunity for me to have access to a high quality education, endless resources, and an empowered network that could ultimately lead me down a road to success. But because I wasn't able to grow up fast enough, I was sent back to my neighborhood with the rest of the poor folks and thrown to the wolves because I was supposed to know better, right? To me, it sounds like the same thing that's happening to black and brown folks all across the country, just on a different level. But what do I know? If you're wondering exactly why I was kicked out of school, it was a series of different things that led to it. This includes petty disagreements with classmates, talking back to teachers in class, skipping school, and lastly, what the administrators at MCS referred to as extortion. I'll start by explaining the first red flag, which was skipping school. What's odd about this whole thing is that I believe this was my first time skipping school, and the one time I actually decided to, I get caught. So what happened was, I used to travel to school every morning with a family friend from my church. Together, me, him, and his younger sister used to ride the trolley and the subway from Southwest each day. So this guy that I used to travel to school with was somebody that I definitely considered my big brother, and whether he knew it at the time or not, I definitely looked up to him. During this time, I believe I was in 6th grade, he may have been in 10th or 11th grade, and his younger sister was in the 4th grade, if I remember correctly. So basically, he was responsible for babysitting us to and from school each day because I usually went to their house after school too. At this period of my life, this specific person was a little bit of everything that I thought was cool. He got all of the girls at my church and at school, he had multiple game systems, he dressed well, but most importantly, he was a genius. He had his share of issues that he was dealing with himself, but overall, he was a good dude, and he still is to this day, and I have nothing but love and respect for his entire family for taking me in during that time. He was one of those guys that, if he had done everything right and became the person that the people around him thought he should be, he probably would be somewhere making six figures right now if he isn't already. But in high school, he was just him, and him unapologetically. I would watch everything he did, and I took in every piece of advice he ever gave me like it was law. He probably didn't realize this at the time, but... He was a part of my roadmap for what it meant to be a man, even when he wasn't doing the right thing. So it'd be some days where we would get to school as a unit, me, him, and his little sister, and when we would get to the building, we'd all go our separate ways. So as a listener, you interpret that however you need to, but 
I will say that we always got to and from school safely. But on this particular day, I decided to go back home and spend the rest of my day relaxing at his house. He was upstairs in his room doing his own thing and I was downstairs on a computer on MySpace just scrolling away. I probably was updating my profile layout, listening to music, and changing around my top five. I know y'all remember those days, but long story short, hours had passed and it was time to go pick up his little sister from school. Time really flies when you're having fun, I will say. And for some stupid reason, I wanted to be grown on this day and I told him that I could ride the trolley to go pick her up on my own. I had never did this before, but he let me go. And I can honestly say that this was the beginning of a really bad day for me. So traveling to the school was no issue because I remember the route that we took every day. But when I got there, she wasn't outside where we normally be. So I waited around for a little bit and I still didn't see her. So at this point, I realized from conversations with my classmates or other people at the school that I probably had to go in the building and look around for her. So that's what I did. As I look back, I honestly don't know how I made it past the front desk in the building, but I did. And I was halfway to the cafeteria where I learned that she was. And I ran into my homeroom teacher, Miss Lloyd. Shout out to Miss Lloyd, y'all. But she said, Damonte, were you in school today? And I said, yeah. She said, no, you weren't. Stop lying. Come with me. And I'm sure that y'all probably know what happened after that. But that was one of the two main infractions that ultimately led to me getting kicked out of school. The second one is pretty silly, but nonetheless, I definitely shouldn't have done it. This was in the era of the PSP. And for those of y'all who aren't familiar with the acronym, it stands for PlayStation Portable. If I remember correctly, this was the first handheld gaming console from Sony, so it was a pretty big deal. It had popular games like NFL Streets, Need for Speed, Naruto, Dragon Ball Z, and most importantly, Grand Theft Auto, Liberty City, and Vice City. In my opinion, the only bigger thing for kids at this time was probably the Motorola Razor or the iPod Touch. If you had one of those, you were usually considered a cool kid because the iPod Touch was like the iPhone before the iPhone, if you know you know. But one way or another, I would get a hold of these games that I mentioned earlier and me and a group of friends would buy, sell, and trade the games to one another at school. It got so big at one point that it was one particular day where I remember having like $120 all together from the sales that I made. And y'all know $120 or a bean 20 as we would say in Philly, that's a lot for a sixth grader. And I had to start figuring out ways that I could get rid of it because I didn't want to be found or caught with that much money on me. So at some point during the day, I ran into two of my older homies who happened to be in the 8th and ninth grade. They also went to my church. So I saw these guys and deep down somewhere, I probably definitely wanted to impress them because they were older than me. So I gave them both $20 and I told them to get lunch for themselves. In Philly, we call $20 a dub. So I gave them a dub and I was like, listen, if it's on me. And it's funny because they were looking at me like, yo, you my little bro. Like, where did you get this money from? I know your grandma will give you an allowance, but. It can't be this much. And we all started laughing. <laughs> they were my homies, though. So, of course, I told them. And after that, word started to spread even quicker. They started to give me old games that they had so I could sell them. They started selling games on their own. And it was like a huge ecosystem of PSP games being distributed at school. I was like Ghost from Power before Power even existed. And I can honestly say that it was going good for a little while. I had this one kid in my grade who was like my main cash cow. If you wanted to sell a game quickly, he was the person you went to because he would beat the game so fast and he would just buy another one. But at the same time, he happened to be the reason that the operation fell through. Long story short, this kid's mom called Wendell what was going on because money began coming up missing from her purse. So after that, instead of telling his mom what was really going on and the role that he played in it, which was he was stealing from his mom in order to purchase these games at school, he told her that 
my friends and I were bullying him and threatening to jump him if he didn't give us the money for the games. And I can honestly say that I never threatened this kid. For everybody that know me in real life, what I look like threatening somebody for money, it just don't really add up. But that's just what happened. And what's funny about this whole situation is that out of all the people involved, if I remember correctly, I believe I was the only person suspended and ultimately asked not to return to the school. Now, I don't remember if there was an investigation into the situation or how thorough that process was, but it was pretty much my word versus his. And of course, I didn't tell on any of my friends because I just wasn't raised to do that. It's just not the cool thing to do for kids that grew up in my area. So it was pretty much my record versus his. And of course, this kid had a squeaky clean record. He never caused any issues from what I remember. He made solid grades and he was super well behaved. When you put his record up against mine, paired with the credibility of his parent, who I believe was a well-educated black woman, versus mine being an African immigrant with a quote-unquote bad kid, whose side do you think they're going to take? And that's no knock to my grandmother in any way, but in my opinion, it probably has more to do with the optics of the situation. You know, the implicit bias and the respectability politics. And if I may add, MCS was definitely seen as a prestigious black-owned school, just in case you were wondering. But... Even with my pastor being a member of the board and pleading my case and my grandma begging and pleading with those people for another chance, it didn't change a thing. They still asked me to leave their school even though I hadn't done what that kid said. The one good thing that came out of the situation was that because my pastor was on the board, he asked him not to put this on my record because it would impact me down the line and my chances of getting into a good school in the future. So they allowed me to finish school that year at MCS and that following year I started at Pepper. Before I got there, my grandma even tried to put me in another charter school in my neighborhood before sending me there, but I couldn't get off the wait list, so it was final. I had to do it. The official name of this school is George Warren Pepper. Pepper was a middle school that served students from the Southwest area in grades 6 through 8, I believe. I actually recently learned that the guy who the school is named after is a UPenn alum, which is kind of crazy to me because of how my story unfolds in the end. But while I was a student at Pepper, to be completely honest, there were a lot of moments where I could barely see past the 8th grade. There was just so much going on each day that it made it hard to be hopeful for the future. And this was probably the longest two years of my life. Pepper was the type of school where the bullies got bullied. Literally, nobody was above the law of the land. Because my middle school was a neighborhood middle school, it had to serve anybody that was within a certain zip code. So, my school was the middle school that kids were sent to after phasing out of alternative schools and youth detention centers. It was also a school for kids like myself who had been kicked out of a school previously and needed somewhere for a fresh start. At this school, I saw things that I didn't even think were possible for a middle schooler to see. What's crazy about it is that if you show even the slightest bit of fear, anxiety, or that something affected you negatively, you become fooled. And I'm talking like the bottom of the food chain. And you'll be terrorized every single day until you leave. And it starts all over again the next day unless you transfer, drop out, or eventually fight back. It was almost like jail in a sense that in order to survive, you had to become desensitized to certain things and only identify with certain parts of yourself to make it through each day. I know that sounds crazy, but it's real. And if you type the name of the school in on Google or even take a drive over to where the school is, you'll know exactly what I mean by that. I know people from my neighborhood and my friends are probably listening and thinking like, he's being dramatic. It wasn't even that bad. But in my personal opinion, I believe that we were taught that so much of this stuff was normal and that it happened all over America. So growing up, we just thought that so much of this stuff was acceptable. I witnessed my friends being choke slammed and put in cuffs by cops and school security guards, teachers and students getting into bloody altercations, teachers walking out of classrooms in tears because they couldn't get students to settle down, and even kids who were more sexually active than adults at this time. Remember, I'm talking about teens and preteens. I saw a lot and it didn't take long for me to realize why my grandmother didn't want me to be there. 
the one bright spot for me throughout my time there was that most of the special kids that I mentioned earlier from the schoolyard and elementary school were now students at Pepper too. So it was like a big family reunion with all of the kids from grade school and my neighborhood. The great part about that is that most of us were able to use sports as an outlet to get to where we are today, which is amazing. And I know that there is a narrative being spread that we don't need any more rappers or athletes coming out the hood, but for so many of us, sports or rap may have been the one thing that saved our lives. And if we weren't spending our time doing one of those things, who knows what might have happened to us. Because of sports or rap, we were always accounted for and monitored when we were away from home, whether that's because you were in a studio, in a gym, or on the field. And that was great for kids like myself because it gave us exposure to a male or female presence outside that we may have lacked in the home. Your teacher or your coach may have been the only person to give you a hug and tell you that they love you some days. They may have been the first person to look you in your eyes and tell you that they believe in you. And for kids that come from where I come from, that's literally everything. So shout out to all of the teachers and the coaches at public schools who are dedicating their time, energy, effort, and resources to kids who need it the most. Sometimes these teachers, coaches, and staff members have to use their personal funds to get things for their students. Sometimes they have to use their own cars to transport students to and from school. And so much of these things are just not talked about because the people that are doing the most important work don't have the platforms to bring these issues to light. When it comes to the topic of sports specifically, I realize that this may be one of the reasons why you see some people still trying to pursue a sports lifestyle or athlete's dream as they age because not only do you grow to love the game, but for so many of us, sports provided a much needed mental escape. It almost becomes part of your identity as well. And when you're out on that field or when you're in a gym, that's probably one of the only places where it's socially acceptable for you to experience every emotion. If somebody pushes you too hard on the court, it's okay to get up and go into a rage. When you win an important game or a championship, it's okay to lay down and cry. When you're around your teammates, it's socially acceptable for you to laugh and smile. You don't always have to be so uptight and you can trust in the fact that if you're on a really good team, when you're down, someone will notice and be there to lift you up. For so many athletes, being on a field or in a gym with a team is the only place where they felt that love, that true sense of community, positivity, passion, and accomplishment. So when that's absent, you could spend a lifetime trying to regain that feeling if you don't find anything to replace it. But anyways, as this episode comes to a close, I really want to make sure y'all hear the end of this first experience with failure. At the time of seventh grade, I was no longer living with my grandma because I had moved in with my aunt who purchased a home about 15 minutes away. By now, my grandma is getting a little older, she's sickly, and she's like, I can't keep chasing after no boy that don't want to listen. So here is your turn to try and get him right. The gag was, my aunt was my best friend. At this time period in my life, and still to this day. So I was kind of happy that this was happening. I finally would get an ounce of freedom, but when I got there, everything wasn't what I had imagined it to be. Y'all know the saying, you don't really know somebody until you live with them. Historically, my aunt had been known as the cool aunt. She was the one that went on the field trips and everybody wanted to be in my group because she would always make sure I had a hoagie, chips, a hug, and spending money and she would also buy things for my friends who were in my group. She would also make sure I had all of the freshest sneaks for school. At that time period, I remember we was wearing an Adidas Top 10, Diodoras, K-Swiss, the Barclays. It was a lot of different kicks that was popping at that time, but... Once I started living with her, the dynamics of our relationship changed. The love got tougher and she began to make me work harder for things. And I didn't realize it then, but she was teaching me lessons on how to become responsible and how to make wise decisions. We went through time periods where I felt like my aunt was my enemy just because she wanted me to keep my room clean, wash the dishes, and take out the trash. But over time, the one thing that changed all of that was sports. Before realizing that I really liked playing basketball, I tried out for every single sport at my school. This might sound crazy, but I broke my foot playing football on the first play of the first game of the season. 
And yes, y'all heard that correctly. What happened was I tackled the returner on a kickoff and everybody jumped on top of me in a dog pile. I didn't realize this at the time because my adrenaline was so high that when I tried to get up, I realized that I couldn't walk. And I just remember going over to the sideline with my teammates and my coach, who happened to be a woman, she looked at me on the bench and she was like, are you hurt or are you injured? Because she couldn't believe that I got hurt on the first play of the game. And I'm looking at her like, what? What you mean? What kind of question is that? She was like, are you hurt or are you injured? Because if you're hurt, you can go back in the game. If you're injured, you need to go to the hospital. Me personally, I think you're just being a pussy. And mind y'all, this is my first time being a part of a team and playing competitive sports. And I was looking at her like, this lady is insane. Like, she talking to me like this and my foot is the size of a baseball. So eventually we figured out that I was injured. They drove me home after the game and we found out that I broke my ankle on the first play of the first game of the season while I was in eighth grade playing football. <laughs> now on to the next sport. I quit playing baseball after the first game because, for one, the coach didn't put me into the 7th for 8th inning. And I was heated about that because I felt like I was one of the better players on the team. But once he did put me in the game, I realized why. And ultimately, that's what led to me quitting. Now, prior to this experience, I had thought that I was a pretty good catcher from playing wide receiver in football. But the ball fell directly in my mitt and then it went right on the ground and the opposing team scored. And now looking back, I realized that you're supposed to close your mitt or put your hand on top of it to make sure that the ball is protected. But in that experience, I just let the ball hit my mitt and I expected it to stay there. So after this play, the coach didn't put me in for the rest of the game. And with my young mind, I interpreted this as I would be a bench rider for the rest of the season because I didn't have that foresight or I didn't have that mental fortitude to know that it would be other opportunities for me to rectify my mistakes throughout the season. But ultimately, I quit. After this, I tried to run track, but it was bad for my asthma. So I quit that too. And if y'all haven't already realized, this was the start of a really, really bad habit. Surprisingly, I was really good at tennis and I finished the regular season undefeated in doubles before going to the playoffs. Me and my boy Derek Lee, we just had this crazy chemistry. He was super smart and we both were involved in Pepper's mentally gifted program at the time. So from that, our feel for each other just translated naturally from the classroom to the court and we won a lot. It wasn't until we started traveling to play with kids from other districts where we got our asses kicked. And that was the end of my time playing tennis. From those experiences, you could just tell that these kids have been doing this for a lifetime, but they also had access to so many more resources. Nonetheless, I was proud of myself for sticking it through. The main reason that I played tennis was because Pepper's basketball coach was the tennis coach as well. So imagine a bunch of super athletic black kids running, jumping, and swinging a racket like it was a baseball bat. It was crazy. But all of these experiences of quitting just led me to basketball, and I can honestly say that this was the sport that just felt the most natural to me. What I liked most about basketball was the fact that even if you weren't a star player who put a bunch of points on the board, you could still contribute to a team and shine in a role if you chose to accept it. This goes for about any team, but if you're tall, a natural athlete, and committed to doing all of the dirty work, you could probably make most basketball teams. Every team needs players like this who don't really have an ego and are willing to sacrifice themselves for the greater good of the team. Because I was taller than most people trying out, I had something that the other kids didn't have. They may have been more skilled than me at that age, but physically I was taller, stronger, just as fast as them, if not faster, and I jumped higher. Over time, I learned that if nothing else, I was a super good rebounder and defender because I just wanted the ball more than anybody else, and it was like I brought the principles of football over into basketball, so I was a very raw prospect. But now that I was on the team, I realized quickly that all I had to do was just outwork everybody so I could get better and make up for the lost years of playing basketball. And I remember this like it was yesterday. I almost went my whole 8th grade season without scoring a single point. When I would be on the court, everything just seemed to move so fast. If you've ever tried a new sport, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When they throw you in a game, it just seems like everything's going a mile a minute and you just forget everything that you were taught. 
But it was one game in particular where things really began to slow down for me. Because in sports, you learn something new each game that could be applied to your toolbox for the next opponent. And at this time period, I had a really good friend named Nafis. Nafis was our point guard, but he also went on to make the all-star game for our division. I used to learn so much from Fees in between each game, but in between coaching me up, he would always look at me and say, man, you don't get no buckets for real. And, you know, sometimes he would be playing, but other times he would be serious because we would get into an argument. But I never really took it personally. It just motivated me to get better over time. Early on, I just remember I would be so disappointed in myself after each game because I still had score and I was worried if I was going to finish the season scoreless. What made matters worse was my girlfriend at the time played for the girls basketball team and she was 10 times better than me. I'm talking about crossing people up and getting buckets in a game better than me. But after a season of running around cluelessly on the court, that game when I scored finally came. So I don't remember exactly how this happened, but I just remember being passed the ball in the three-point line. And on that day, I was like, I'm not passing no more. I need to get a bucket. So on this particular play, I just stopped thinking. I really let muscle memory take over and I let it fly and it just happened to go in. After the first shot went in, I almost forgot to run back on defense because I had never experienced that feeling before. It was my first ever bucket and it honestly felt like euphoria. I was in a trance. Beast had to yell at me and say, you hype young boy, get back on defense in order for me to snap out of it. But nonetheless, that was a defining moment in my basketball career. It gave me the confidence to know that, all right, you could possibly have a future in this if you get better. I ended up making two threes that game and I finished the entire season having six points. But that was good enough for me because in my head, it was like six is better than zero. It just sparked the love for the game that eventually led me off the streets, out of trouble, and eventually off to college. In the next episode, I'll finish out this story and tell y'all about the other two moments that ultimately made me name this episode, Quitters Never Win. So if you made it this far and you're digging the podcast so far, feel free to subscribe, leave a review, or share your thoughts with me on social media at failingforward.co. Otherwise, thank you for listening and stay on the lookout for the next episode. Peace, y'all. Thank you.